Well, good morning, good morning, and welcome to the Summit. I'm Brian. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to have you here on this Thanksgiving weekend. We have been uh, in the book of Mark for a long time, actually the whole fall, and we're taking a short little break here to dive into Advent. And we have a tradition, actually, at the Summit where on the Thanksgiving, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we practice baptism. And so we have a couple people that are going to be getting baptized today. So after the sermon, we'll sing a couple songs, and then uh, we're going to join together in baptism. But our passage today, as we dive into Advent, comes from Philippians chapter 4. And I want to read it for us. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. It says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Awesome God, what we know not this morning, please teach us what we have not please give us, and what we are not, please make us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, a little crowd participation here. I need a little help from you, so see if you can bring this back here. I've got the joy, 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 joy. Yeah. It's always the where people I'm looking for. It's always the where people. Someone's like, I'm going to just jump in, I'm just going to sing the first part. And then there's the people who like a little more of the attention. They're like, where? (laughs) Down in my heart. Where? Yeah, see, there you go. Jump in, it's good. Uh, Let's do the other one. See if you know this one. Rejoice in the Lord always. Oh, harmony over here. Wow. (laughs) You guys really spent time in camp. That's good. Thank you guys. Yeah. Those are the classics, the, the songs we know, the songs we love that teach us about joy and rejoicing. So how often do you rejoice? How often do you rejoice? It's a command. It's given all over Scripture. And we associate the idea of joy with Christmas. Joy to the world, right? We sang it this morning. The Lord has come. That there's something about joy that's deep here in what is, Christmas is about, that Jesus has brought joy into the world, and it actually is declared there in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, the shepherds are in the fields, and angels appear, and it says, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The the literal phrase there when the angel said good news is glad tidings, that there's something that will make you happy, actually. And, And glad tidings, this is something to rejoice about because it will be for great joy for all the people. We, you know, reflect in Advent in two different ways. We reflect on the first coming of Jesus and what happened in these moments and what Jesus brought into our world. And it leads us to an anticipation or a looking towards or hoping for the advent of the second coming of Jesus. And 
There's a church tradition where we look at four words that Jesus brought into the world and then four words that we're longing for him to bring in total fruition into our world, and we live in those same four words. We do joy, love, hope, and peace. And for most of the time as a church, we've spent time going over these four words at Advent. We kind of made a decision earlier this year that we wanted to shake things up a little bit, and so what we're going to do for the next four years, so you're committed now, uh, is we're going to actually spend each season of Advent really digging into one of those words. And the way I like to, the word I like to use, one of, some of the guys in one of my Bible studies that make fun of me for this, but I like the word steep. So if you have a cup of tea, how many tea drinkers out there do we have? Not, nah, all right, we got some tea drinkers. So basically you have your bag of tea and when you put it in there, you're wanting all the beautiful flavors to come forth from the tea, and so you kind of steep it, you bounce it up and down to get all the flavors out, and it makes it more robust and more tasteful. And so what we want to do this season is we want to steep in joy. We want to steep in joy. And we want to take these four weeks and then Christmas Eve to just, in a devotional way, reflect on joy. So, have you ever considered that one of the most defining aspects of Christians is that they are joyful, full of joy? Now, let's be fair, life is tough. There are lots of things in this life that are hard, and in fact, sometimes we like to differentiate joy from sorrow or even talk about how they're opposites. And, and I would argue that they're, they're not that, and we'll talk more about that in a little bit, but actually there's some overlap in joy and sorrow. And, and we're going to dig into these different aspects in a couple weeks, actually. We're going to talk about how sorrow and joy can be experienced together. In fact, how they need to be experienced together. But today, I want us to just focus on the act of rejoicing. So, I need you a little bit to, to give me some grace in this because I know that in this room some of you are going through some hard things and some of you have had some struggles yesterday, well, this morning, <laughs> yesterday, this week, with family maybe, this year. And the last thing you want to do is come to a sermon where the pastor's going to say, let's rejoice. But that's what this sermon is. And I really believe that the church has lost the art of rejoicing. We talk a lot about the pains and the struggles and the hurts of this life, and we should because of our God who broke into this world and experienced suffering alongside of us. And I don't want to separate how we understand and deal with suffering from this idea of joy. I want us in this moment to just spend some time thinking about what does it look like to be a people who rejoice? And what does that mean? You know, the idea of joy is communicated as an imperative in Scripture. It's quite overwhelming how much the Bible talks about joy, and we'll dig into that a little bit this morning but I would go so far as to say that one of the duties of Christians is to rejoice. 
that it's our responsibility. We're called to it. It's something we're commanded to. And my hope this Advent season for us as a church is that as we steep in the idea and concept of joy, the act of rejoicing, that we will become more joyful people. Martin Luther, one of the reformers a long time ago, he wrote this, but if you possess faith, your heart cannot do otherwise than laugh for joy in God and grow free, confidence, and courageous. For how can the heart remain sorrowful and dejected when it entertains no doubt of God's kindness to it and of his attitude as a good friend with whom it may unreservedly and freefully enjoy all things? So this morning, let's talk about rejoicing. Let's engage on the source of joy, the act of joy, and the occasion for joy. The source of joy, the act of joy or rejoicing, and then the occasion for rejoicing. So the source of rejoicing. One more time in Philippians chapter 4, Paul said, he says it actually a couple times in this book. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. To, to rejoice, it simply means to experience joy and gladness in a high degree. And here, Paul, what he's doing is he's commanding it. He's saying there's something that brings joy, and so Christians should rejoice. The Bible teaches us that because of the story that we've been invited into, there is a reason for gladness in high degree. I mean, when Paul wrote this in context, he's actually in prison. He's been suffering for some time. And here at the end of this chapter to the church in Philippi, he's saying, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. It should be something that comes forth even despite the circumstance I'm in, even though you might think that there's no reason for, the, for joy to come forth from me. He's saying, I will rejoice. Have you ever wondered what the opposite of joy is? Helps us maybe understand what joy is. What is the opposite of joy? Uh, sometimes we might argue it's sadness, that it is the opposite of that. But, but again, I think sadness and joy can coexist. Maybe a good example of that is what we see at funerals, that sometimes in death there can be this deep grief and this deep sadness, but also an experience of understanding what is ahead for that person who has died if they're in Christ. Childbirth is a great picture, I think, of sadness and joy, that there, even the Bible says that Jesus talked about it, that there may be pain in the moment of childbearing, but at the same time, the holding of that child is this immense experience of joy. And we see that joy and sadness go together very much. In a more cultural example, we have the great movie Inside Out that shows us this picture, right? That you see at the end that one of the main characters in Inside Out, she's joy. And what does she want to do? She, want, she thinks that in order to really experience joy, everything else has to be, you know, you can't have anger, you can't have sadness. And so at the end, you see this picture, this power that joy and sadness actually, when they come together, that it, it matures us. It helps us under experience life in a more beautiful and profound way. Our world just to expose it a little bit, to say what it's not, that we have our song, a lot of songs in the sermon today, you know, don't worry, 
Oh, I love it. This is going to go great. Which really in a Christian perspective doesn't make sense because the essence of what that song is saying is it's saying pretend that life isn't hard. Just be happy. And what joy is, joy is this, this rejoicing in our, what we have in God, that there's something that's so beautiful in that, that no matter our circumstances, no matter what's happening, there can still be this deep gladness that exists in our heart despite the hardness of this life. And in fact, the Bible, I would argue, would say that we can experience those two things and have them together, which brings us back to, well, what then is the opposite of joy? And I would argue that the opposite of joy is unbelief. The opposite of joy is unbelief. I'll, I'll use a scripture, actually, to help explain this. In Romans chapter 15, in verse 13, Paul says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Hear that again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. That, that when we believe, when we understand the story that we've been invited into, when we understand the work of Jesus, when we understand what this idea of Advent is, why we celebrate it every year, that we come together and we, we spend five weeks reflecting on Jesus breaking into this world, and, and then a few months later we'll celebrate when Jesus defeated death, that this very story that we as Christians tell that Aaron was talking about, that we read about and focus on, that this very story, when we believe the reality and truth of what has happened in these lives, that in our lives because of our connection to Jesus, then what happens in that is that is where joy comes from. And that our unbelief in that story, our unbelief in that connection to what God has done is where our joy gets robbed. You know, we all have areas of unbelief in our life. Areas where we're not believing or trusting in what Jesus has done or what he's accomplished. And much of the journey of Christianity, the much, much of the journey of following Jesus is that journey of belief. Is to, to believe what Jesus has done and to, to allow that to change us and to transform us. And so here we see this same way that when we believe, when we, when we go to God to experience what he's doing in and through this world and in and through our lives, that there's something that's going to transpire in there where there's going to be joy, gladness. And, and, and that leads to then, well, what really is the true source of joy? And the true source of joy is God. The very essence of where joy comes from is God. In the book of Psalms, which we're going to be reading in a couple weeks, and I, too, would encourage you to come. I think it'll be an amazing experience. We're going to read Psalm 16. And Psalm 16, verse 11 says this, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, pleasures forevermore. Let's just sit in that for a second. If we want joy in our lives, we need to go to the place where there is a never-ending supply of joy. So let's, let's flip this a little bit. Please don't think about anybody but yourself as I tell this. 
Do you know when someone cranky walks into a room how they can affect a whole room? You're all thinking of yourself right now, right? You're not thinking of anyone else. <laughs> and maybe to flip it a little bit, we also know that metaphor or experience of when someone starts to laugh, how it can make everyone else laugh. We have this thing in our family where my humor is just a hair different than the rest of all of my other kids and my wife. And so I will tell jokes that I'll be the only one that will be laughing at, but they'll start laughing because I'm laughing. They're laughing not at the joke, but maybe more at me. But it doesn't matter because my laughter can do what? It can stir laughter in other people. And what, what God's saying here is, when you're in my presence, because I am joy, I, I will make you joyful. It, it's, it's actually something quite profound and simple, but something I wonder if we don't often practice or do. That in essence, what David here, the psalmist, he's writing, he's saying, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And he's saying two things there. He's actually saying, when I'm in your presence, I experience joy and I become full of joy because you are full of joy. It's a beautiful picture of what David's inviting us to. And he's in, inviting us to this practice, to this experience, to this reality that we can have joy. When I was... Growing up, we used to do advent calendars. Do you guys advent calendars? And you'd, you know, get up early to get, not many of you did advent calendars. They're like this thing, and it has little windows that you open, and there'd be like a tiny piece of two-year-old chocolate in there. <laughs> but, you know, you were excited to get up in the morning and get that two-year-old piece of chocolate. And, and so, and we would go, and we would get it, and we would open the number, and, you know, we'd fight over who was even days and odd days, right? And you'd eat that piece of chocolate, and... And it would somehow bring you just a little bit of happiness. <laughs> My, uh, I wonder if this Advent season, maybe we could try that as a church. What if every morning when you woke up, you would just take a couple minutes to be in God's presence and say, God, would you fill me with your joy today? I mean, if we're really going to steep in the joy of God, Paul commands us, rejoice in the Lord always. How might we become people who would be more full of joy, more glad, more happy in who we are in Christ? How might that become a reality? Well, it doesn't become a reality unless we're in the presence of the one who is full of joy. And as Christians, we have this source of joy that is beyond our imagination, that, that we go to all these other shallow places to experience joy, but, but we have the never-ending, the, the, the joy source that will never fail us, never run out, never be something that won't satisfy us. And, and here David's inviting us, he's saying, come to the source of joy to be joyful. Charles Spurgeon, a famous Baptist preacher, he wrote something I really loved. He wrote this, there is marvelous medicinal power in joy. Most medicines are distasteful, amen? 
But this, which is the best of all medicines, is sweet to the taste and comforting to the heart. This blessed joy is very contagious. One distressed spirit brings a kind of plague into the house. One person who is wretched seems to stop all the birds from singing wherever they go. But the grace of joy is contagious. Holy joy will oil the wheels of your life's machinery. Holy joy will strengthen you for your daily labor. Holy joy will beautify you and give you an influence over the lives of others. So church, let us, let us go to the source of joy to become joyful. Well, let's talk about now more specifically what that act of rejoicing looks like. Three quick thoughts here. The first is we see again in, in chapter 4 of Philippians and frankly all throughout Scripture that there's this call to rejoice, this hard command to call us to rejoice. Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. And he says it. I want you to hear it again. Rejoice. Practice rejoicing. Do something to declare and exude gladness in who you are in Christ and what you found in your relationship with God. He wants to remind us that there is this invitation for us to do it, which leads us to the second thing, which is there is a choice about rejoicing. I think sometimes we just expect there to be this response, and yes, rejoicing is a response. There are moments where something comes out of us where we get excited, but he's saying, too, when you're in the presence of God, there should be something in you that responds, that does something, that chooses to rejoice. When we choose to find joy in lesser things, it, we have a response to those things. And Paul's saying here, choose to rejoice in your, the story that you're in, in reflecting on what Jesus has done for you in your life. I, I, I heard an illustration that I really liked, that when we, there are different ways that hinder us from expressing and choosing the joy that we have in our relationship with God. Two things, imagine you have a bucket that is full and when we choose to find and express and rejoice in lesser things or when we choose to disobey God, it's like having a hole in our buckets. And we want the fullness of the joy that we can have in God and what we're called to here, the choice is to say, I want to obey and follow God. I want to find true and utter joy in the ultimate story. And so it's almost like you're filling those holes so that our bucket can become more and more full with the joy of God. And the last thing I would say is this. It's maybe, maybe my favorite part of this whole sermon this morning. I think that there sometimes needs to be and we need to think about the command to rejoice, and we need to command our souls to rejoice. Have you ever thought about that, that sometimes we need to tell our souls to rejoice? I mean, we know what this looks like because many of you this morning when you were laying there in bed and the alarm clock went off and you hit snooze one, two, three, dot, dot, dot times, you had to tell your soul Get out of bed. 
And we have days when we have to tell our souls to just get out of bed because we know that there are good things ahead of us and we have to do this. And we see in Scripture, actually, in all the, all the Psalms, many and myriad of times that there's this command given to the soul to rejoice. So in Psalm 103, a very, maybe one you've heard, a song that we've sung, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that was in, within me, bless his holy name. Right, bless the Lord, oh my soul. <laughs> right, worship his holy name. So, so when he says that, when he says that, what he, this, I think this is what, what David's doing. He's saying, wake up, soul. Bless the Lord. Wake up. He's, he's commanding his soul. He's like, listen, we got a reason to rejoice, so bless the Lord. I know you're tired. I know it's been a hard day. I know it's been a hard week. I know it's been a hard year and or years. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, soul. Have, this is what I would love for some of you to do. Is tomorrow morning when you wake up and your spouse is laying there next to you, you just say, bless the Lord, soul. Just say it out loud. Just say it out. Just like yell it out. Bless the Lord. And if she gets mad or he gets mad, doesn't matter. It's time to wake up. It's time to rally the soul. Get out of bed. Bless the Lord. I, that, I, I love what's happening here. Why? Because sometimes our souls are tired and they're weary and we lose sight of what we can rejoice in. And there are a lot of things to be sorrowful. I, I, I don't want to, please hear me. It's really important that, that I'm not saying there shouldn't be times of grief and crying. In fact, I would argue that the more we're able to enter into grief and sadness, the more full our sadness and joy can be. But I, I can't help but think that we, we've become just ho-hum in how we rejoice. That we, we, we get so satisfied and, and or, you know, just in a, in a negative way, like we're like, yep, I kind of know the story. I know what I have in Christ, and, and I know today's another day. And, and sometimes I've, I can't help but think David was the same way. And so he's like, no, today I'm telling you, soul, bless the Lord. Because there's reason for rejoicing. There's reason for blessing. There's reason for getting excited. We started singing this new song. And there's this great part in the song. It's called Gratitude. We started singing it maybe a month or two ago, and we sang it the first day. I got so excited. And in the, there's this bridge, and it goes, Come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me. Get up and praise the Lord. Right? We read it again. He says, Come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. Because you've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Now, how about waking up with that every morning? Come on, my soul, don't you get shy on me, lift up your song. You got a lion inside of those lungs, come on and praise the Lord. I started that a little too high. Christians are called to be a people who rejoice. Why? Because we got a reason to rejoice. 
We've got got a story that we've been joined a part of. We celebrate this thing called Advent every year. Why? Because the God of the universe broke into this world to what? To save us from, from sin and from darkness and from death. And sometimes we just got to remind our souls, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Praise his name. There's an occasion for rejoicing. I just want to read to you a few verses here. First Peter, one of the most persecuted times of the church in history, he wrote this. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Colossians chapter 2, Paul wrote this, For in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. That, that all of the deity that needed to exist dwelt in Jesus, and you have been made full in Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 16. John wrote this. He said, And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, that there is an unending, unlimited amount of grace that has been given to you. And in John chapter 15, Jesus says in verse 11, These things I have spoken to you that you may have joy and that your joy may be full. My invitation to us, church, is to be a people who are always rejoicing in our circumstance, not necessarily our circumstances. That, that no matter what is happening in this world, no matter what is going on, and yes, there is occasion for grief and sadness, even in the midst of all of that, that we would never forget that we would always be a people who are doing what Paul commands, rejoice in the Lord always. Why? Because of our circumstance in that we have been forgiven our sins, raised from the dead, and now walk in the newness of life. We rejoice because of what has been done. A king has come. Sin has been forgiven. Death has been defeated. We no longer have to strive to have a good record. A clean record has been given to us. We rejoice because of who we are. We are more loved than we can imagine. We are adopted as children and given an inheritance we could never count or lose. We rejoice because where we belong, we're a part of a new family where the weak are strong, the poor are rich. The empty are full, the lonely have friends, and the needy are righteous. We rejoice because of when this happened. It already happened. It's already been done. It's not something that we have to worry about being accomplished. It was accomplished in Christ. And a new reality is breaking into our world. And because of his resurrection from the dead, we can be assured that he will come again and that we have a promised return of Jesus to bring the fullness of what He has given us a taste of. My friends, joy doesn't always have to be expressed in an exuberant moment of praise. But it can be. It can be. And this Advent season, I wanted 
us all to be reminded that if there are any people in this world who should give a shout of joy for what we have been given in the birth of Jesus and his advent into our world, it should be us. That we should be a people who are filled with a joy and expressing joy, that we're choosing to be joyous because we have been given the greatest gift. And maybe this morning that's all we needed to be reminded of. So come, let us rejoice. Let us rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. I want to conclude with a prayer and ask you to do something a little different this morning. There's a book that um, was given to me a few years ago. It's called Every Holy Moment. And it's this really powerful book of poems that looks at all different moments of life and gives prayers for them. And there's a prayer for the beginning of the Christmas season. And it's a prayer of joy. And I thought it would be cool to conclude this message by reading this prayer. And I've actually got it on the screen. Is it on the screen, Dave? Yeah. So I'm going to read this as a prayer, and I want you to, if you want to close your eyes, that's great. I get it. Some of us struggle to have our eyes open when we pray. But I want to encourage you to join with me as I pray this and read this to you and to consider our prayer this morning. So let's pray. As we prepare our house for the coming Christmas season, we would also prepare our hearts for the returning of Christ. You came once for your people, O Lord, and you will come again for us. Though there was no room at the inn to receive you upon your first arrival, we would prepare you room here in our hearts and here in our home, Lord Christ. As we decorate and celebrate, we do so to mark the memory of your redemptive movement into our broken world, O God. Our glittering ornaments and Christmas trees, our festive carols and sumptuous feasts, by these small tokens we affirm that something amazing has happened in space and time. That God, on a particular night, in a particular place, so many years ago was born to us an infant king, our prince of peace. And so we repeat that sounding joy first proclaimed by angels in the skies near Bethlehem. In view of such great tidings of joy announced to us and to all people, how can we not be moved to praise and celebration in this Christmas season? As we decorate our tree and as we feast and laugh and sing together, we are rehearsing our coming joy. We are making ready to receive the one who has already with open arms received us. We would prepare you room here in our hearts and here in our home, Lord Christ. Now we celebrate and rejoice in your first coming, Emmanuel, even as we long for your return. Amen and amen.